0: Book by Victor Hugo, Chapter 8 A prolonged sigh on the quivering notes of the guitar accompanied these last words. I was beside myself. King, black, slave. A thousand incoherent ideas awakened by the mysterious song which I heard whirled through my brain. A maddening desire to finish with this unknown being— who dared to mingle the name of Marie with songs of love and menace, took possession of me. I grasped my rifle convulsively and rushed from the summer house. Marie stretched out her arms to detain me, but I was already in the thicket from which the voice appeared to have come. I searched the little wood thoroughly. I beat the bushes with the barrel of my rifle. I crept behind the trunks of the large trees and walked through the high grass." nothing. Nothing and always nothing. This fruitless search, joined to the useless reflections on the romance that I had heard, added fuel to my anger. Was this insolent rival always to escape from me like a supernatural being? Could I never find out who he was, or meet him? At this moment, the tinkling of bells roused me from my reverie. I turned. The dwarf Habibra, was at my side. "'Good day, master,' said he, and he bowed with respect, but with a sidelong glance full of triumphant malice at the anxiety which was imprinted on my face. "'Speak,' exclaimed I roughly. "'Have you seen anyone in these woods?' "'No one except yourself, Signor Mio,' answered he calmly. "'Did you not hear a voice?' continued I. The slave remained silent, as though seeking an evasive reply. I was boiling. Quick, I exclaimed. Answer quickly, wretch. Did you hear a voice? He insolently fixed on me his eyes, round like those of a wild cat. What do you mean by a voice, master? There are voices everywhere. There is the voice of the birds. There is the voice of the stream. There is the voice of the wind in the trees. I interrupted by shaking him roughly. Miserable buffoon, cease using me for your toy, or I will make you listen to another voice which comes from the barrel of my rifle. Answer at once. Did you hear in these woods a man singing a Spanish song? Yes, señor, answered he calmly. Listen, and I will tell you all about it. I was walking on the outskirts of the wood, listening to what the silver bells of my gora were telling me. Suddenly the wind came and joined to this concert some words of a language which you call Spanish. I came nearer to the voice, and I heard the end of a song that I had first heard when my age was counted by months and not by years, and my mother carried me slung at her back in a hammock of red and yellow wool. I love the language. It recalls to me the time when I was little without being a dwarf, a little child, and not a buffoon. Ah, well. Is that all you have to say? cried I, impatiently. Yes, hermoso master, but if you like, I can tell you what the man is who sang. I felt inclined to clasp him in my arms. Oh, speak, I exclaimed, speak. Here is my purse, Habibra, "'and ten others fuller than that "'shall be yours if you tell me what this man is.' "'He took the purse, opened it, and smiled. Diez bolsas, fuller than this, "'but demonio, that will make a fine "'fanega of good gold coins. "'But do not be impatient, young master. "'I'm going to tell you all. "'Do you remember, Signor, "'the last words of the song? "'You are white, and I am black.' but the day should be united with the night to bring forth the daybreak and sunset, which are more beautiful than either. Well, if this song is true, the dwarf Habibra, your humble slave, born of a negress and a white, Signorito de Amor, is more beautiful than you. I am the offspring of day and night. I am the daybreak, or the sunset, of which the Spanish song speaks, and you are nothing but the day." I am more beautiful than you, if you please. More beautiful than a white. The dwarf accompanied this odd rigmarole with bursts of laughter. I interrupted him again. Where, then, do you expect to arrive with these buffooneries? Tell me who was singing in the wood. Certainly, master, replied the buffoon with a malicious look. It is evident that the man who could sing of such buffooneries, as you call them, is no other than a fool like me. I have gained Las Diez Bolsas. My hand was raised to chastise his insolence when a wild shriek rang through the wood from the direction of the summer house. It was Marie's voice. I darted, I ran, I flew, wondering what fresh misfortune could be in store for us, and I arrived, out of breath, at the door of the pavilion." A terrible spectacle presented itself to my eyes. An enormous alligator, whose body was half concealed by the reeds and water-plants, had thrust his monstrous head through one of the leafy sides of the summer-house. His hideous, widely-opened mouth threatened a young negro of colossal height, who, with one arm sustained Marie's fainting form— Whilst with the other, he had plunged the iron portion of a hoe between the sharp and pointed teeth of the monster. The reptile struggled fiercely against the bold and courageous hand that held him at bay. At this moment, as I appeared at the door, Marie uttered a cry of joy and extricated herself from the negro's arm and threw herself into mine, crying, "'I am saved!' At Marie's movement and exclamation, The negro turned abruptly, crossed his arms on his breast, and casting a look of infinite sorrow upon my betrothed, remained immovable, without apparently seeing that the alligator was there, near him, having freed itself from the hoe, and was advancing to devour him. He was a courageous negro, and rapidly placing Marie on the knees of her nurse, already seated on a bench and more dead than alive, I approached the monster— and discharged my carbine into its yawning mouth. The animal opened and shut two or three times its bleeding jaws and languid eyes, but this was only a convulsive movement, and suddenly it roared, rolled over upon its back, with its scaly feet stiffening in the air. It was dead. The negro, whose life I had so happily preserved, turned his head and saw the last convulsive struggles of the monster— then he fixed his eyes on the ground, and raising them slowly towards Marie, who had again cast herself into my arms, and in the accent of the deepest despair, he said to me, «Porque le has matad? Why did you kill him? Then he took a long stride without waiting for a reply, and entered the thicket, where he disappeared».